Amen. All right, we are going to be continuing in our series called The Great Escape, which is exciting. This is our walk through the book of Exodus. This is our 53rd message in the book of Exodus, and we've gotten all the way to Exodus 29. All right, so last week in our message, Clothed in Righteousness, Part 3, we continued our study into the ceremonial garments of the priests uh, that would serve uh, God in the tabernacle. We looked at the makeup of them, how they were designed, and the very specific elements of their clothing. I also examined the spiritual significance of the broader biblical narrative that points to the Messiah, uh, the coming Messiah, and the sacrificial payment for the sins of the world. This morning, we're going to move from the instructions on the clothing of the priests and its significance to the priests themselves, the process for sanctifying them to the service of the Lord. This ceremonial as well as personal process will be to enable these ordinary men to work not only in the presence of Almighty God, but on His behalf as they function as advocates between the people and the Lord. So this message today is called Hallowed Unto God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to, Lord, uh, hear of what is happening in the Philippines and, God, how you've already prepared our hearts through the singing. And, Lord, as we come in fellowship today, Lord, as uh, there's a commonality here, there's a spirit that dwells within us, Lord, I pray that you help us, uh, Lord, to hear from you, help unto ears to hear, that, Lord, we might receive what you have. God, I know that you know, uh, personally, I have prayed over this message, God, and I have prayed that you would speak to me. And, Lord, I know that you have, and I would ask now that you'd speak through me that the words I share would not be the ones that I would choose, but the very ones that you would choose. God, help us all to be ears, having ears to hear, God, that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, just to give us an idea, the last three messages, we've really been talking about the garments, right? We saw how they were made, the significance, how they were to be worn, all those things. But God was very, very specific in instructions, right? And why is it so, so important that God is specific in his instructions? Well, as we dissected the instructions, one of the things that we found over time was the fact that God was instructing them particularly, in a particular sense, on the garments, yes, but he was also teaching us some larger biblical truths that we were supposed to see about God's plan for the redemption of mankind. You see, God wants us to understand the deep things of God. Many times when we read the scriptures, we kind of take things on a superficial level. We just kind of read it as a story. But there is a much deeper intention. Verse, verse, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 13 says this, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, I know there are plenty of folks that have heard messages talking about heaven using that specific verse and I'm not telling you that, that that's not true, that I have not seen, your have not heard. It's true. We've not, we don't have no idea what God has prepared for us when it comes to heaven. But the problem with that verse is it has nothing to do with heaven. It is not related to heaven in any way, shape, or form. And let's look at the next couple of verses, and it'll prove to us. So it says there in that verse there, it says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Okay? If we, had, uh, we equate that to heaven, we would think it's not till we die until we get there that we'll see it. But look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. It says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? You say, look, who really knows somebody except for that person themselves, right? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. God understands God, and guess he does. Through his Spirit, he helps us to understand. Verse 12 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given, look at this, freely to given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So what happens is, if we're going to understand the Bible, what we've got to understand is the Bible 
is the best way to learn the Bible, right? Whereas, unfortunately, there's a, there's a spiritual uh, concern here, and God wants us to understand that we take spiritual things and compare them to spiritual. As we allow the Bible to define it, we notice that there is an outside, uh, the concept of outside interpretation is something we have to be careful of. Now, is it wrong to read a commentary? Not necessarily. But that does not need to be the end-all, be-all. Just because someone sees something in the Scripture and they say, well, I believe this means this and I believe this means that, if they're not going to verify it scripturally, then we can't take it as valid. The Bible is going to define itself. The best commentary in the Bible is the Bible itself, right? Moses could not have known the symbolism of what Lord was instructing him to create when he was talking about the clothing and the tabernacle, right? At the place where he was, he couldn't understand that. But guess what? In retrospect, you and I, looking back through time, we have the ability to see what it is God was showing him or showing us. And it's awesome, man. Remember at this point in the scriptures, we're up on Mount Sinai, right? We're up there. The Lord is speaking to Moses. He's giving him instructions. And we're up there with him as he's giving him instructions about the tabernacle, about the priests. We're listening in as Moses is absorbing the instructions that he's going to take back to the people. But right now, we're just listening in. Exodus 36, these things are at this point, as we read today, it's going to be just instructional. It isn't actually going to be put into practice until Exodus 36, where they're actually going to build these things. Right now, we're receiving instructions. So Moses, we're going to be eavesdropping on his conversation. So just imagine that. He's up on the mountain. We're eavesdropping. We're off on the side, just kind of listening to what's going on. All right, Exodus 29, verses 1 through 14. Exodus, Exodus 29, 1 says this, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. There's an awful lot being said there. That's just one little phrase. And we look at that and we go, yeah, we could breeze over that. But it's interesting. God is specifically talking about Aaron and Moses, right? He's talking about beginning the process of hallowing these men, hallowing these men. And then we hear the word hallow and we go, hmm, what does that word mean? What does it mean to be hallowed? Well, what should we do? We should go to the Bible and have the Bible explain to us what the word hallowed means. Exodus 20, verse number 11 says this, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Here God talks about it. This is, some, this is a time this is to be set apart. This is to be blessed. Numbers 3, verses 13 says this, Because all the firstborn are mine, for on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be. I am the Lord. So these, again, we see they're set apart for God. The word hallow shows up in the scriptures 35 different times. And guess what? Every time it points to the same meaning. Exodus 40, verse 9 says this, And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that, is there, all that is in therein, and thou shalt hallow it and all the vessels thereof, and it shall be holy. So here the Lord describes it as holy. So hallowed means to be set apart, and it means to be holy. Simple and straightforward. The Bible teaches us exactly what it means. Other words we might use here might be consecrated or might be dedicated unto God, right? As we can see, without this process of the hallowing, this being set apart, they won't be able to fulfill the office of a priest. Now, I know that you guys remember this, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I know you guys have an amazing memory. And every scripture I give you, you guys are like, yeah, I remember that. I got it. So do you remember what God talked about us being priests? Remember that? First, it's at 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, but ye are a chosen generation, talking about us, this is the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his 
marvelous light, right? So as priests, we cannot fulfill our role in service to God unless we are hallowed unto Him. We see this mirrored to us as we read this scripture, talking to these men thousands of years ago. He's speaking to us at the same time. This means that if we're going to be used of the Lord effectively, we must set ourselves apart from the rest of the world. Right? Amen. These Israelites, guess what? They're carrying all kinds of baggage. They're coming out of Egypt, man. They lived there, and there was a pagan land. There's all kinds of stuff that, they, that poisoned them. They had idolatry and all kinds of stuff and, and idol worship that they're bringing with them. So they've got all this religious, religious baggage that they're bringing with them. But at the same time, they've got fleshly lusts and desires, man. It was a lot about, about what we, we chase our emotions, right? So here they're carrying that stuff with them. And what God's trying to do is saying, look, I'm going to hallow you, right? Is it any wonder that the Lord requires them to be out from the influences, those influences, before they can serve him. It, does, it makes perfect sense. Don't forget, the Israelites, guess what? An Israelite, when you see them, they're always a picture, the Old Testament picture of a New Testament believer. When you see an Israelite in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's always pointing into the New Testament to us as individual believers. And is it any wonder that God requires that us, for us to be brought out from the influences of this world in order for us to serve him. God is picturing this to us. He's trying to tell us something clear and straightforward. It's all about being hallowed, set apart, being holy. 2 Corinthians 7, 16 says this, 6, 6, 17 says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This is God saying, I will receive you in spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done, in spite of the things you've said, in spite of the people you've hurt, in spite of the sin that you even have in your life right now. I will receive you. Come out from among them and be ye separate. He's going, look, you hallow yourself, and guess what? I will receive you. How amazing is that? This is the God of the universe, man. He's saying, look, if you'll hallow yourself. I, and it, what's beautiful, man, I, the next part coming up. Romans 12, 1 says this, and this is Paul beseeching believers. He's begging the church. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, mm -hmm. acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, it's the least you can do mm -hmm. is to be holy. But how many of us struggle with it every day? Amen. Dude, my hands up. Both hands up. Man, every day. It's a fight. Amen. Our flesh wants what it wants, man, and we battle it every day. Yes, we notice, remember back in that, in that 2 Corinthians 6, 17, what was interesting in that verse, it's not going to come up, but don't worry about it. In that verse, notice it does not end with a, with a period. It ends with a comma. So it's carrying us over to the next one, which is going to be 618. And check this out. And this is God talking. He says, I will receive you in 617. And in 618, he says, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Look at the relationship that he, that he relates it to of a father with his children. Now, some of us may have had jacked up fathers and maybe they didn't do their job. But when a dad does his job properly, he loves his kids. He supports his kids. He cares for them. He provides for them. He loves them. When they're in trouble, guess what? They run to their papa and he climb, they climb in his arms and man, they're safe. And there's this wonderful sense of belonging and value and worth. That's what he's saying, man. He says, if you'll come out from among this world, 
You be hallowed, come unto me, just like a daddy with his kids. I will scoop you up. And I will love you. And some of us have been living our lives with no dad in our life. Or maybe a broken father, father example that we grew up with. Maybe we've lived a life that we're, you know, we've never felt like we fit in. We've never felt comfort. We've never felt the grace that God offers to the world. Guess what? God is a father that loves us and wants us to simply say, you know what? It isn't about me, Lord. Let me make it about you. Because as Paul said, he said, I beseech you, man. I'm begging you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says, why can we be so selfish when God's done so much for us? Amen. So it's this beautiful picture that God shares with us there. He is offering it to us. He uses the most beautiful, comforting relationship we can possibly imagine. And if we're to effectively serve God, guess what? We've got to be hallowed, holy, sanctified, set apart. 2 Corinthians 6.17, Wherefore, come up from among them, and be ye separate. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? That's what we're going to look at. Verse 1, at the very first end of verse 1, it said, Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. And what we're going to see is these are going to be sacrifices for sin as we go into verse number 2. Verse 2 says this, And unleavened bread and cakes unleavened tempered with oil. And wafers, unleavened, anointed with oil, of wheat flour shalt thou make them. Notice the thing that's very important. He keeps talking about unleavened, unleavened, unleavened. Because guess what? Leaven in the Bible represents one thing. It represents sin. That's exactly right. It's a picture of sin. And what it is, is when it just takes a little bit of leaven to be introduced to something, and guess what? The entire thing is going to be affected by it, right? You take a little bit of yeast and put it in just one little lump of dough. What happens? Does just that one part grow? The entire thing is impacted, and it's exactly how sin is. It's just a little bit of sin in your life. Guess what it does? It will spread. Because once we get okay with one little bit of sin, well, the next little bit doesn't feel so bad. And after a while, when I got this much, I may as well go all the way. It's like when you blow your diet, right? One Reese cup, not a big deal. Not a big deal, just one Reese cup. But then there's, there's 11 others there, and you're like, well, I can have two or three more. Four Reese cups, that's not, I mean... Well, I've already eaten four. I may as well eat 12. Why not, man? Let's just do it, right? Let's knock it out. Let's get some sleep. There they are here, man. I can just crush these bad boys. Y'all know I love Reese Cups anyway. But the point is this. It's a slippery slope, man. It just takes a little bit. Once it gets introduced, it poisons everything. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8 say this. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye, have, as ye are unleavened. He says, look, now that you're saved, you've got that sin is no longer an issue. For even Christ, our Passover, is, is sacrificed for us. Verse 8, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Look at that picture of sin, malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. He's going, man, let's, let's be that unleavened bread. The feast he's referencing is the Passover, man. We hear the Passover. What's it related to? Back in Egypt, right? In the very last plague that came through Egypt. What happened was this death angel was to be sent into Egypt to kill all of the firstborn. And God gave instructions and said, if you'll take the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb, and you'll put it upon the door, the lentils of the posts of the door, when the death angel sees it, guess what he will do? He will pass over your door. <coughs> It's the blood, that blood of that sacrifice. And guess what it's doing? It's another picture. As we talk about, the Old Testament is a picture book, man. It's a picture book. You find a concept in the New Testament talking about the Passover. All you got to do is jump back to the Old Testament where you see the Passover show up again, and you see an entire story teaching you about it. And you see that the lamb was the, was the, was the one thing that allowed the death angel to skip over the house. 
and it is the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, man. In John, John 1, man, John 1, 29, what does what John call him? He says, he says there cometh this Jesus Christ, the, the, the Lamb of God, that cometh to take away the sins of the world. He points him out as the Lamb, man, defining it. And the Passover is where Jesus gives himself, man. It's his blood when applied to our sin debt protects us from the angel of death that would take us to hell. Now, what we find here in this verse, verse further down, it says, purge out. Remember, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as your unleavened, for even Christ our Passover. It tells us right there the picture. It defines it back there in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. So we get another clue of what it takes to be hallowed unto God, right? We look at this aspect of the, the leaven. So we look at, first of all, there's, a, there's an animal that's going to be sacrificed, and we look at the, um, the leaven, which is about the, the sin that's within us. Verse 3, And thou shalt put them into one basket and bring them in the basket with the bullock and the two rams. We see here that the instruments that were used to cleanse, to sanctify, they're all being unified into one place, right? And can I uh, present to you today that guess what? The very things that sanctify us, that cleanse us, they've all been unified in one place. Put in one place. This book, this book, this supernatural book created by God for us, God's Word is the only thing in the entire world that can hallow, hallow or sanctify us from God. It is the only thing that can free us from the sin or the bondage that we live in. We're all in bondage to sin. Egypt is a picture of the world. They were in bondage to slavery. You and I as Christians or as, as people, we're in bondage to sin. We live in the Egypt of this life. And God sent a deliverer, Moses, right? He sent a deliverer, Jesus. And He brought him out of that bondage. When you get saved, God brings you out of the bondage of sin and He frees you through the blood of Christ. And we see this picture here. Freedom. God wants us to be free. The only thing that frees us of the bondage, it is the source, the Bible, guys, it is the source of truth. It is, in fact, the truth. Guess what Jesus called himself in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only through knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior can we be set free from the horrific penalty that sin brings with it. Amen. Romans 6, 20, 22 and through 23 says this, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin, what we earn because of our sin, is a death, not just a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death to be separated from God. If you're a born-again child of God, there was a day when you heard the truth and you responded to it. And in your response, God freed you from sin. John 8, 32 says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Jesus saying that these are his own words. Verse 36, he says this, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Free. There are people in this room right now, you are in bondage to sin. You might even be saved but you're in bondage to sin because your orientation is not upon being hallowed. It's upon being happy. And we try to fulfill ourselves with things of the world that we'll think will make us happy, but in reality, they put us further into bondage. Free from sin and its penalty. Free from spiritual death. 
free from hell. The elements of the hallowing process have been gathered together to make these men who are unworthy to be worthy to serve God. It's the hallowing process in their humanity. They are unfit to fulfill this role. They cannot do what God's asking them to do. So they must be hallowed in order to be able to be used of God. It's exactly the same thing. He's calling us to service. He's calling us to Him. He's calling us to do something with our lives. And because we're not hallowed, we can't. Why can't God use me? Why don't we do a little self-assessment and figure out what it is that's not hallowed within us that makes us not qualified? Amen. Verse 4, And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. Right? And we look at the word, we look at water. What, what's significant about water? Let's look at it in the Bible. Ephesians 5, 25, 5, 25 through 27. Jesus said this is, teaching us about, about uh, the relationship of, of husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It says here that husbands are supposed to love their wives sacrificially, right? But there's a word in here that stands out, that word as. He says, he says love your wives even as Christ has loved the church. One of the things we learned from Pastor Mark Trotter is two of the most important words in the entire Bible are the word as and the word like. You know why? Because everyone you see that, you see that, it's introducing you to a description that God's given you some type of an example, a teaching example. So he says, husbands, you want to understand how to love your wives, do it as Christ loved the church. There's your example to follow. Again and again and again, the Bible will do that. As you see that word, pay attention to as and like, man. They will help you to understand so much. Verse 26 is this, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, that would be washed by the water of the word. We see water again as Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by a well. John 4, 13 through 14 says this, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, speaking of the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into life everlasting. Jesus is talking about himself, who he is, and why he has come. The truth of the water that's, that's cleansing these men, ceremonial. Guess what? It's the same thing that's going to cleanse you and I. Verse 5 says this, And thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the coats and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod. And thou shalt put the miter upon his head and put the holy crown upon the miter. We spent three weeks talking about those individual items, so I'm not going to go any more detail. Just know they all have a symbolic purpose. Verse 7, Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head, and anoint him. After being clothed, right, this precious oil is going to be poured upon his head as a part of the sanctification process. Now, do we remember who Aaron is a picture of in the Bible? In the New Testament, he's a picture of Christ, because Jesus is our ultimate high priest. Aaron is the high priest in the Old Testament. This is pointing to Christ, right? And do we think it's any coincidence that this happens in Matthew 26, verses 7 through 10? There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head. She's talking about Jesus. As he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying to, What purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for such and given to the poor. And Jesus said, and when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. 
the very same process we see going in the high priest in the Old Testament, guess what? We see it happening with Jesus as he's heading to the cross to make the sacrifice for the world. The very same thing that the high priest was going to do when he walked into the most holy place to make the sacrifice, man. It's all a picture of Jesus. Whew. I don't know if it excites y'all. Y'all are like dead as a door, but I am excited, dude. This is awesome. <laughs> I mean, is this not awesome? I mean, you see this Old Testament picture showing Christ, man. He's throughout the Bible. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And yet we, and we can read these things and it can go right over us. If we don't allow the Bible to be the Bible, let it define itself. That's why it's here. Verse 8. And thou shalt bring his sons and put coats upon them. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them. And the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. And thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. This process of clothing and cleansing these men, yes, it's important, but it's a first step. Because guess what we're doing? We're focusing on the, on the outside, right? We're trying to make these men worthy. But guess what? It's not the outer man that's most important. It's the inner man as well. So we see the sanctification process starting on the outside. But, buddy, we need to get to the inside, to the inside. So many times as Christians, we think if we look the part, if we act the part, that we're doing okay. And, hey, man, you may fool your friends. You may fool other church members. You might fool your pastor. You may even fool your own family. But guess who you will never fool? God. Amen. He looks right through us. He sees us. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. This is whenever David is, uh, whenever Samuel is sent to choose uh, the king and he goes through the sons of, of Jesse. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. He says, I see inside of them, and all these big, strong, strapping men, guess what? They're not the king. The ruddy young man that they bring, that little David, that'll be the king because he sees the heart of a king in a boy. It's the heart that God cares about. No matter how well-crafted it might be, the Lord sees through our facade. And what is so amazingly sad is all the effort invested in creating this Christian persona, all this work to try to fool everybody, to fool ourselves. The Bible warns us again and again, deceive not your own selves. Deceive not your own selves. Because right. we create this, this thing. And the thing is, if, even when we got the facade just right, and everybody thinks we're just right, if we look within us, what do we see? That we're miserable. That we're living a lie. The truth is not in us. It's not until we stop playing games and get serious with God and our walk with Him that we can experience the abundant life that God has for us, man. He's got something wonderful. He's got something amazing. He has that father, son, and child relationship that he has for us, yet we miss out on it because we're so full of us. If we stop pretending and playing games and trusting, and believe me, it, listen, this is a life or death situation for some of you guys. Because they made it a time in your life. You know what? Let's say you've played the game. You're raised in church. You know how to say all the right things. You carry your Bible. You can answer biblical questions. You can talk about all kinds of things. You can go back to a time and a day when you can say, oh, I prayed a prayer back on this day at this time. Well, guess what? If that's what you're trusting for your salvation, you're in trouble. Because the Bible says there's a new creature at that moment. If you can't look at your life and see a change, then you need to check inside of here. Because as we're talking about this outer aspect of being hallowed, the very first step is knowing Christ as your Savior because you can never hallow yourself. We are wicked and sinful by nature, and there's no way to deal with it except through Him. It's time to get serious. Verse 10. 
And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock. This is a ceremonial transfer of sin. What's happening is they're putting their hands upon this, and the Bible says that the Hebrew word means like to press upon. And what they're, they're, they're transferring, what they're doing is they're accepting the life of this animal for their sin debt. Right? That's what's happening in this moment. And isn't it amazing? That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who when you and I trust Him and His life for the sin debt of our lives, Jesus has the power to die for the sins of the world and can free any man from sin. Verse 11, And thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Why does the animal have to be killed? Hebrews 9.22 says this, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28 says this, For this is my blood of the new covenant, this is Jesus talking about himself, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Blood, blood, blood. That's how sin is remitted. And here perfect blood can be applied, right? We look at this. So Jesus is pictured in the bullock, right? But guess what? He's also pictured in the door. Jesus says this of himself in John 9, 10, 9, in 10, 9. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Right? He's the door. He's the bullock. He's the sacrifice. He's throughout the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, if you'll just take a time to look, you'll see Jesus stand up going, over here, over here, over here. He's everywhere, man. He's everywhere. No matter how badly we may want to enter into heaven, we won't make it if we don't go through the door, through Jesus. Now you tell me, you're saying, well, Pastor, you're saying that he's the only way? He's the only way? Yes, absolutely. Unashamedly, I would tell you, he is the only way, right? I mean, think about this. If let's say I wanted to, to, go, to, I wanted to go to Harvard. Let's say as a young man, I dream about going to Harvard all my life. And I've got the pennants on my wall. I've got the poster. I've got the clothing. I've got everything. I've got Harvard underwear, man. I'm all decked out. I get a Harvard tattoo on my arm when I'm 18 years old and I'm dead set I'm going to go to Harvard man that's my hope my goal and my desire is 100% and I've had that desire for 12 years I've been working towards it to reach that point where I'm going to go to Harvard and then when I graduate from college somehow I don't get in or graduate from high school I don't get in because I never filled out an application to Harvard there's one way into Harvard you do it the way they say fill out the application but I desire to go so bad and I know so much, and I've done so much. I volunteered at heart. I got that man. I, I talk about it everywhere I go. There are people in this world that are religious that are doing all they can to get to heaven, but they're not going to go through Jesus. I am the way, Amen. the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. It's it. Amen. It's absolutely. I'm not ashamed. That is exactly the way it works. And if you don't believe anything else, you're in trouble. Amen. Verse twelve. Thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. The Hebrew word altar means killing place. That's how it translates, killing place. And it will be sanctified by the blood, just like our Savior's blood will sanctify His altar, the cross. John, or in verse 13, says this, And thou shalt take the fat that covereth the inwards, and the, and the call that is above the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is there that is upon them and burn them upon the altar. But the flesh of the bullock and his skin and his dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. It is a sin offering. When you see the word without, that means outside of. So it's saying here that they're going to burn that 
offering, that sin offering is going to be placed outside of the camp, outside of the door. So the sin offering will be just one of countless sacrifices that will be offered on behalf of mankind, where in comparison, Jesus will give himself a single sin offering that will pay the sin debt of this entire world. And any, who, any and all who will believe receive that payment. Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 12, or 10 through 12 says this, we have an altar, right? As he's talking about, this is no New Testament reference going back to the Old Testament reference we're talking about right here. New Testament reference, we have an altar. This is talking about believers. Whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. He says, look, this isn't for the priests. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Notice, that sin offering had to be burned without the camp. Notice where Jesus dies without the camp. Guess what? When he is crucified, he's crucified outside of the gates of Jerusalem, the very door, right? Exactly what you see back here at the tabernacle. You see the exact same thing. Jesus again. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Outside, again, another little tidbit showing us and proving to us that this book is supernatural and it's all tied together. So being hallowed or holy, it's not about appearances. It's not about our activities. It's not about our desires. It's not about what we do or know. It's about who we are, right? Not who we are in the sight of man. Think, people think highly of you, praise the Lord. But if God doesn't, reevaluate. Because he's not the one you, they're not the ones you need to please. God's the one we need to please. But it's in the sight of God. In John 3, or 3 John, the Apostle John writes to his good friend Gaius. This guy's been just a steadfast supporter through everything that John's done. And this guy is a rock star Christian, man. He's killing it. And this is what John says to him. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. What he's saying to him there is he's, he's saying, you know what? Gaius, based upon your spiritual walk with God, I pray because that is so rich and so fulfilling and so powerful. I pray that your physical health would be just like your spiritual health. I pray that your financial health would be just like your spiritual health because you are rocking it, brother. You're killing it spiritually. And if God were to match those things up to your life, imagine the life that you would live. And if we took that same thing, and I'm going to challenge you because I did the same thing this week. If your spiritual health was directly linked to your financial health, or your physical health, how would you be? Would you have driven in here in a nice car and after the service walk out to a beat up old bicycle made out of junk because your spiritual life is bankrupt? Because you're not hallowed to God, because you're filled with self, because you're filled with the world, because the influences that you allow to come to control you are the things of the world, and you don't have a place for God in your heart, you don't want to spend time with Him, you're not consecrated, you're not hallowed to Him. I don't know. You do. But if it was directly linked, man, and you walked outside and you went on that rusty old beat-up bicycle and you got back to where your house used to be, instead of your nice house with carpet and hard woods, you found a ramsackle shack leaning against a tree. And you go inside and there's a big stack of bills. And you find your checkbook and you look at it, and man, it is absolutely destructive. But you're not going to be worried about it because guess what? They're not going to be coming to get you. Because you're on your way to the hospital. Because you know what? You're dying. Physically. Because it's related to our spirituality. 
And if we really evaluate ourselves, man, I pray that when you leave here, that if that was the case, you'd walk outside and there'd be a robot waiting for you outside. And you would leave here and they'd put you, drive you over to your helicopter and fly you to your house, man. Praise God. I don't know. But if it was directly linked, man, wouldn't it be a wonderful indicator to us? Because the world judges those other things. They can't see inside of us. But God can. God can. Would we be financially independent in the best shape of our lives? Or would we be bankrupt and barely alive? If we examine ourselves and we find that we're the latter, we're the ones that are struggling and dying, man, it's about time we reevaluate ourselves and focus upon the most important thing we can possibly do, which is be hallowed unto God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I... I thank you for what you've done in my heart. God, if no one in this building got a thing out of this message, Lord, you sure spoke to me. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful. God, I praise you. God, thank you for being willing to go as far as you've gone to try to take wretched people like myself and Lord, bring us to a place where we could be used. And uh, Lord, as we, uh, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, God, as we're talking to you, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here and they say, you know, I'm broken, I'm wretched, I'm lost. Hey, man, if you're trusting in a decision you made years ago when you were a kid, or you're trusting in church membership, you're trusting in your religiosity to get you to heaven, there is only one way, and it is through Christ and Christ alone. It is by faith in Him, not just believing that He exists, but knowing that He's your Savior. And we do that through simply bowing ourselves to Him, giving our will to God, saying, Lord, I trust you as my Savior. You are the only way, and I trust that to be true. I know you have the power to save me. My sin is what separates me from you. But God, I want you to save me. That was a day 18 years ago when God did that for me and he changed my life. And you have that same opportunity today. You can receive that gift from God. What I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to pray. But those of us that are saved, speaking to you, if there's so far, look at us, we look in our lives and we check our hallowedness. We check our, our, our sanctification. If we evaluate ourselves, what do we see? If we need to make things right, man, the beautiful thing is God's ready and willing to forgive, to receive us and to take us in as a father with his sons and daughters. The process is up to us. It's not up to God. He has already done all the work. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to sanctification, God's done all the work. He's simply waiting on us. So when we have this, at the end of this service, if you want to come forward and you want to pray at this altar, lay something at God's feet, I advise you to do so. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've never received Christ, but I want to today. I'm going to give you that opportunity. It doesn't take anything special. It's not a special prayer. It's not a special anything. It's your heart and God's. And as he speaks to you, all you need to do is respond. The truth has been given. The question is, will you receive it? With their heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you can do it right now in your heart and your mind. I'm not asking you to pray out loud. I'm asking you to talk to God, not talk to me. And in this prayer, it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's the intention of your heart with their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Remember, you're speaking to God. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I thank you for loving me in spite of myself. And I ask you right now, by faith, to come into my life, to Lord, come into my heart, to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. 
I trust you by faith to be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. And I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.